There's a lot of noise around us right now. At the end of the day, it all stops when the door is closed and you're in the room with the patient or in the operating room with the patient. It's that one-on-one that can sometimes feel like it's just not there. And so with all, everything that's going on around us, all the pressures from the outside about this and that, it could be technical stuff, it could be legal stuff, it could be stuff that the government has us doing or insurance companies have us doing. Those are things, we, boxes we have to check, things we have to do to, to see a patient. At the end of the day, it's you and that patient one-on-one in that room. And that's what's really most important to us. It comes down to that. If we lose that, the patient experience is really going to be significantly compromised and we won't be able to treat people like people want to be treated. Welcome to the now and future of orthopedics, a Campbell Clinic podcast. And I'm your host, Sam Coates. Over a century years old, Campbell Clinic physicians are recognized national and international leaders in the field of orthopedics. With engaging conversations and stories, you'll hear how our physicians integrate the latest orthopedic treatments and medical advancements in musculoskeletal care through their continued and ongoing clinical research, innovation, teaching, and the writing of Campbell's operative orthopedic textbook. To learn more about Campbell Clinic, go to campbellclinic.com. And for more podcast episodes, search the now and future of orthopedics wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Our guest today is Dr. Frederick Azar. Dr. Azar is an orthopedic surgeon specializing in sports medicine in Memphis, Tennessee. He is the chief of staff at Campbell Clinic, as well as professor and director of the Sports Medicine Fellowship Program at the University of Tennessee Campbell Clinic Department of Orthopedic Surgery and Biomedical Engineering. Dr. Azar is also the past president of American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, a member of the editorial board of the American Journal of Sports Medicine, member of ALSAC St. Jude Board of Directors and Governors, team physician for the Memphis Grizzlies, the University of Memphis, and the American professional soccer team, 901 FC, plus much more. Join us where you will hear why Campbell Clinic's founding history matters and why equitable healthcare is a human right for everyone. Why it's important to always keep the patient first in an ever-changing healthcare landscape today how Campbell Clinic has and will always evolve and lead the way with advancements that are in the best interests of its patients, plus much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with Dr. Frederick Azar. Dr. Azar, great to see you. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for carving out the time. Given where Campbell Clinic is today after 114 years, what are you most proud of? I think myself and my partners are most proud of our culture. Our culture was started by Dr. Campbell uh, 114 years ago, and he was a person who believed that being a physician is a vocation, not a job, and that healthcare, equitable healthcare, is a human right. So equal and equitable access to healthcare is a human right, and the people that we bring into this practice believe the same thing. So preserving our culture as we continue to grow. Now, 850 people is a challenge, but it's something that we really work hard to do uh, because we think it's important. When you think where we're at today, time and space in society, what's the payoff and why does it matter to be run the way that you just laid it out? Well, at the end of the day, we, we care about our patients. Our patients are first. We make decisions, business decisions for the benefit of our patients, our employees, and our trainees. And we make those decisions if it's going to cost us more to do something and it's better for them, we're going to make those decisions for them. And that's what it's all about. We're here to take care of patients. And so if we can do that, and we can do it at a high level and maintain our culture, which is great for our patients, our employees, and our trainees, that's that's what we we want to get accomplished as orthopedic surgeons. If you had to guess, based off of what you've read or have heard about Dr. Campbell, what do you think he'd say today, seeing where things are at and where things are headed? Hopefully he'd be proud. I mean, you know, he started out as a pediatrician. He'd quickly pivoted orthopedic surgery. Actually, there are orthopedic surgeons outside the big cities. And so by 1909, which he'd been practicing for a couple of years, he uh, went and trained to become an orthopedic surgeon. Most of, most of it was done in Austria and Vienna, some in London, some in Boston, some in New York. 
came back a few months later and uh, started doing orthopedic surgery, which was unique to the area. He saw a need for it. And at that time, uh, a general surgeon was trained to do everything, including orthopedic surgery. And so it was something really unique to the area. And he saw a, a need then for a, a, a crippled children's clinic and, an, and a crippled adults clinic. So he started that at that time to help people. And actually, that crippled children's clinic extended until the, until the early 90s. It was still around. But he'd be proud, I think. I would hope he'd be proud cause, because he's, his culture that he started with is still here, here today. Earlier, you were talking, or I was telling you about all the surgeons that I met and the stories of very qualified, very capable, very intelligent surgeons that have come here to Campbell Clinic. But you talked about preserving the culture, why Campbell Clinic does the things the way that it does and why that matters. Can you explain why the appreciation and the gratitude to Dr. Campbell, but the awareness of history and of true service to the patient, why that matters so much today? So if you walk down the wall here, you'll see Dr. Campbell and every person who's practiced or trained here all the way down, and it starts to wrap around all the way back. And every time I walk down that hallway, every single time I look at that, my eye will be called on somebody's face. I'll think about all the people they've treated. And I'll see here, these people are still alive or these people are not. <laughs> it's, it's pretty moving to see the history there. And we stand on the shoulders of the, the people that have come before us. We're walking in their footsteps, and we're trying to carry forward what they have brought to orthopedic surgery, and not just in this area, but it's, it's internationally, nationally, internationally. We've had some people that have been out there that have contributed to the quality of health care and orthopedics to patients for a long time, and we do it in different ways. We do it uh, one patient at a time. Uh, we also do it by our research that we, that we produce here. And uh, we also do it through Campbell's Operative Orthopedics. So Campbell's Operative Orthopedics was started by Dr. Campbell. It is considered the Bible of orthopedic surgery. And the reason it's considered that is because most orthopedic surgeons say, I've got a copy of Campbell's Operative. He started it after World War I, but, and before World War II, he was looking for some way to have a field book for people to take care of, of our wounded warriors. At that time, there was nothing like that during World War I, and he recognized that, and he produced it. And eventually, it was used in World War II, the first Campbell's Operative. But we're now, at present, working on Campbell's Operative 15. It's a unique publication because it's a, now it's a four-volume series, has been for a number of years. And it's only written, the authors are only people here at the Campbell Clinic. If you look in any typical textbook, you go and get authors from different parts of the country. Well, if you're a, uh, if you're a physician practicing here, you will write for Campbell's Operative with Peaks, which means you need to stay up on the literature, you need to uh, publish you need to educate. You need to be a part of what's out there, cutting edge around the globe. So it keeps us all up to date. And the cycle is usually about four or five years for each publication. And so it's considered the Bible of peak surgery. I'll tell you a funny story. I, my son works in Uzbekistan. He's got a, he's got a job over there. And there was a patient there that uh, needed some help. And he connected us with a myself with a physician who needed some help. And I did a consultation. And at the end of the call, the physician said, we have a copy of Campbell's Operative. You know, it's printed in eight languages. So we consider it the Quran of orthopedic surgery. I said, I've never heard the Quran of orthopedic surgery. I've heard the Bible of orthopedic surgery multiple times, but that's pretty cool. So there's recognition of Campbell Clinic through Campbell's Operative globally, and it continues to be that way. So that's important to us. Look, we, we've, we've been gifted with this, and we want to carry forward the culture. We want to carry forward the education, the research, Campbell's Operative, those are really important to us. We've also been gifted one of the best residency training programs in the country. We're a large program. We take eight a year, which is large. They're here for five years, so 40 residents. And we've got about 10 fellows and some subspecialties. But people come here because they can learn orthopedic surgery and leave here ortho-ready. Now, in five years, you're, you can walk out the door and go practice orthopedic surgery. And the average orthopedic resident today does 1.3 fellowships. So just about everybody does a fellowship. They'll spend another year doing something else. And uh, one of the subspecialties could be sports medicine or hand or foot and ankle or spine or tumor or trauma, pediatrics, those things, which we all have here. But they could walk out the door and do most of that because they get such great training here. And they get it because the real most orthopedic surgeons, 90% do private practice. That's what we are. What Campbell Clinic is a private practice group. However, we're also the University of Tennessee Department of Orthopedic Surgery. So we, we are also the faculty for that. So you get the training at Regional One and Laboner and Methodist University and those hospitals where you see uh, really complicated 
patients in a high volume, one of the busiest level one trauma centers in the country here at Region 1. So you, you can get that great training here that makes you really feel like you're, you can do what you need to do when you walk out the door here. So the experience, the environments that you'll be put into, the relationships, the education, the expertise, everything, you can't find a better place to come do your residency. Well, we think that. We think there are a lot of great places. Look, there are a lot of great places to train. As I tell my tell that my, my partners in the group every year, we do a state of the clinic address, and we talk about I was able to travel at one point in my career around to five continents and uh, many of the states, and, and, I met, and I met a lot of great people. And do orthopedic surgery is 2.7% of all doctors. It's a small group, so you really get to know people, and it, we, you run across people at different points of your career that you've met. But I tell people that there's a lot of green grass out there, but there's no greener grass in here. And it's not for everybody, but it's if you really are looking for a practice like ours, excellence in the healthcare and patient delivery, education, research, leadership, because we give back in leadership too, all those things, this is a great place to be. We're very blessed to be able to have all these opportunities to do what we do here. I'm curious if you could say a little bit more here. Earlier, you referenced 850 men and women that work for Campbell Clinic through nine locations. Number nine coming soon. When you think about your fellowships, your undergraduate studies, your medical school studies, everywhere you've been, the association, national associations of orthopedics that you've led. What has Campbell Clinic really gotten right and had the discipline to keep at the forefront that others struggle with and it dilutes the impact to the communities that they're a part of? I think if you start with your patients and you think it's a doctor-patient relationship, that's critical. Because in this world today, healthcare delivery, it, it varies. Uh, as I like to tell people, just like politics is local, healthcare delivery is local. So whatever community you're in, you may be working for the hospital, you may be in a multi-specialty group, you may be a, a, in an academic center. You know, for us, again, we're a private practice, and we're also the University of Tennessee Department of Peak Surgery. For us to be able to, to deliver healthcare at a high level, you just have to maintain your priorities. We embarked upon this uh, journey to improve our structure and our governance a few years ago. We redid our mission statement. We developed a vision statement, which we never had. And we, with our employees, developed core values. And if you start with that, and we don't just park it somewhere. It's on the walls here. You can see them on the walls. Uh, we put out a Monday morning message. So every Monday you get an email, no matter who you are, any, any of our 850 people get an email. It's got mission, vision, core values on there. It's also got at the top either a, a Bible verse or a quote, and at the bottom it says, your day will go as your attitude goes. <laughs> so I tell people, you can bring the right attitude and effort every day. That's what patients want to see, you know, somebody who wants to take care of you and get it done in uh, an efficient way. So those are things that, that we draw upon that we think are foundational, you, you know, and we think that really keep our culture that we think is really important to us. It keeps to, helps us to maintain our culture. I saw that you have 48 or 50 surgeons, a part of Campbell Clinic. Is that correct? For surgeons, yes. We have other providers. We have orthopedic surgeons. We have physical medicine, rehab, or physiatrists. We have family practice sports doctors. We have PAs, physician assistants, nurse practitioners, uh, soon-to-be internal medicine. So we have a lot of different people, but mostly this is this orthopedic surgery group. And there's 850 total. What can you say to the women and men that support the patient and that support the surgeon? that might not be a physician, but they make the train run on time and they're doing things day in, day out to create the best possible experience for the patient. People that come here have a, an opportunity to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And what I say to them is every single thing that you do in your job is meaningful to patient care. That's what we're here for, every single thing. And that means if you're doing maintenance on the place or you're seeing patients or you're you know, any, any of the number of jobs we have, every single person is important to the mission here. And that it, when we bring people in and we orientate people, we go through a lot of these things that are really foundational. We let people know that everything, every single thing they do, their job is really important to taking care of our patients. And they feel like they can be a part of that if they want to be. Well, before we started, we were talking about the Memphis Grizzlies professional basketball team. You're the team physician for them and have been for a long time. But you thoughtfully let us know that everybody's the same. It doesn't matter who you're serving. Every person matters. And earlier you talked about Dr. Campbell, how it's a vocation and everybody deserves equitable care. 
Can you speak to all the different things that you've been a part of, your experiences, recognition, boards, but what does it take to keep a heart and a mind of service and care for the patient first, regardless of what's going on on the exterior? You should treat everybody the same. Every single patient should be treated the same. And look, I think humility is a really important part of being a physician. You know, things happen in medicine you can be beyond your control, and uh, we always do the best we can, but things can happen, and you, I think it's important to be humble because the human body doesn't always act like you want it to. So I think if you're humble, that's a really important attribute to have, and uh, you can't let anything go to your head when you're taking care of some high-level athlete that everybody knows is some maybe is a world-famous athlete or famous in the United States, whatever. You know, you got act like you've been there before because you have. Because Dr. Campbell started treating people like this a long time ago. Elvis was treated at the Campbell Clinic, you know, people like that. But if you treat everybody the same, that was something that was instilled a long time ago. And I think that's we carry that forward because we think it's important. Instilled by who? Well, it gets carried forward from the people that were here before me immediately that trained me. And we, we're passing on to those that are going to come after. They're here now are going to come after. And they got it from somewhere. We, we think it started with Dr. Campbell. You know, there's there's a written history that's out there about uh, some of the some of the people that were here with Dr. Campbell and people after that. And you know, the stories get passed along. And the stories that you hear really are similar to the culture we have now. We That's what we draw upon. And didn't mean we keep, want to keep it the same either. We want to try and improve upon it. We're always trying to improve. Complacency is the eighth, is the eighth cardinal sin. <laughs> I mean, you, you can look up at the end of every year and say, gosh, that was a good year. We took care of our patients at a high level. We did a lot of research. We trained at the highest level. Uh, we did some lead, great leadership stuff. We worked in our community, did some things. But you can't just say, okay, you know, uh, that's great. You got to think, what can we do better? And so to do that, you have to, it takes some time and effort to do that. And you have to focus on that and not just be rest on what's already, what you've accomplished. So complacency is not a thing that we aspire to act upon. We like to be proactive and be looking what what are the opportunities are out there for us to do better. I know that you attended University of Notre Dame for your undergraduate and then you attended Tulane for medical school. So two very, you know, well-known institutions. Would you say that the relationships, the mentorship and seeing the example of others before you helps spur that drive on to not get complacent? I would. Uh, I would say this, that I think that it all starts with your own family. And we have this saying here, faith, family, and patient care. Those are our priorities. So when we bring people in here to join our practice, we say, look, our faith is important to us. We pray before our meetings. That's just who we are. And we say faith, family, patient care. But if you really think medicine's a vocation, a lot of times your patient care jumps in front of your family, which is it just does. It's just the way it is. But we aspire to have those priorities because I think they're important. We want people to come here to work here that have those have similar priorities. That's something that's really important to us. And we I think that the people that we bring here bring also bring things from their own personal lives that can make us hopefully make us better. But it, honestly, it starts with your own how you were raised too. You know, we believe in lifelong learning orthopedics. It should be the same way as your with your character. You should always try to do better and be better. And you bring people in that actually teach. We, I, we're still bringing people in now. They're teaching me things, and so uh, in different ways, not just about within some of the newer techniques they brought from where they trained, but you know some things that they have hopefully have some some qualities about themselves that can make us better people and better physicians. You have to have humility, though, to be open and receptive to that, I think. And you're saying you and the other stakeholders here are adamant about making sure that's the case every single time to maintain this rich history and performance over 100 years. Well, let me just say that we're not perfect people, but we aspire to do it. And, uh, when I say we, we, we like it, we work to maintain our culture, we're not trying to live in the past. Our culture, again, is we're just trying to, we think we had a great culture in the past. We think we have one good now. We're trying to uh, make it, build it for the future. We, we want to keep, continue to improve it. But we, we, you have to focus on that. It, again, it's foundational. When you're making strategic decisions, you have to think about your mission, vision, core values. You have to think about your, your, your patients, your employees, your trainees. And if you do all that, and you have some guiding principles, which are our core values, excellence, integrity, compassion, innovation, commitment, legacy, unity. If, if they're not just somewhat something that you talk about over here when you need to. It's just out in front of you every day. Yes, sir. And so if you do all that, I think that uh, you can have it be successful in whatever you endeavor to do, not just medicine, not just orthopedics, but whatever you want to do. 
I saw that Campbell Clinic is top 20 orthopedic groups around the country. And you've been very clear about excellence, patient care, about how you're organized, how you do what's right for the patient first, even if that costs more money. And given some of the things you shared earlier about the change of your field of medicine with maybe being owned by private equity or hospital owned, is there anything that you're open to speaking to about the continued and even maybe further impact to communities, to societies, with Campbell Clinic, the way it's orchestrated, patient first, the way it's, the way it's run to really put the patient at the forefront? Well, we have control in our practice. And, and I, look, there's some great places out there that are certainly trying to take care of their pay. Do, 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 they're trying to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish in, in their priorities. But we have control because we are a unique group. Uh, to be a, a private practice group that's also a university group is just we're, we're looked upon as being very unique in the world of orthopedics because most people are either you, you'll see people that are in small the average orthopedic surgeons in a small private practice. There's some that are solo practitioners. They're rare. We have some alumni that do that. There's some that are in multi-specialty groups. There's some that are in university groups or academic centers, some that work for hospitals. There are different health care delivery platforms for orthopedic surgery. We happen to have one that's unique that we have maintained control. And it's easier, uh, and you can aspire to, to have those priorities, but it's harder to do when somebody else is control, in control of you. And so the, the current wave of private equity going back with big practices, it's not something new. You know, as a uh, dog returned to his vomit, the fool <laughs> returns to his folly, it's biblical. We saw this in the 1990s. Orthopedic practices were getting bought out, and they turned around and ended up buying them back. It's, at the end of the day, whoever buys you out, they're going to make their money, and they're going to try and say to somebody else, and you maybe want to try and get your practice back because there's, there's an end game here. It's a quick exit for private equity. Well, you lose control of your practice when you do that. You cash out, basically. It's good for people who are getting ready to, to end their career, and they don't really care. They don't have a legacy practice like ours. They're, they're going to try and bring in people that will work, but they're not going to make a lot less than what they were making before because they're owned by somebody else who are basically getting their margin, you know. And so that's just not a way. You, you distract. To me, it's a distraction to have, be doing something like that, and you don't have control. And so I, I, I don't, I'm not critical of people that want to do that. That's what you want to do. That's fine. We don't, our, our horizon is very long here. It's going to go on until as long as there's orthopedic surgery. And uh, it's not going to end with some people retiring and selling out their practice. That's just a, a recent trend now that we don't, we don't have any uh, interest in. What does that feel like for others, maybe yourself, to know that you're sacrificing maybe some personal monetization and maybe some personal income, but for the good of the patient? and then for the good of the partners and the organization, the people over a very long time horizon? Well, you don't come here if you aspire to, if it's, you know, hey, gosh, I want to go out there and medicine's a business. It's not a vocation. Or if medicine's a job, it's not a vocation. You don't come here for that reason. Uh, again, I'm not critical of anybody that wants to. Hopefully, we're bringing people in, in medicine and healthcare and orthopedic surgery that, that, uh, that again, see it as a vocation because otherwise you get, you can't make clear decisions when medicine's not a vocation. When it's a job or a business, you're not going to make the right decisions. You're going to be human nature is not favorable for the patient if you're going to be have that structure. And so you're attracted here because of again our our, our core values, I think, and our culture. And I think that look, I, I don't want to come off as saying that gosh, we're better than anybody else because we're not. We're human beings, but the people we bring in here do aspire. I think to do they they want to check every box excellence in patient care, education, research, leadership, those things, and giving back to our profession through things like leadership and research and training, taking the time to train the future orthopedic surgeons, residents, and fellows. This is the place to come for that, for sure. Shifting gears a little bit, there's a newer surgeon with Campbell Clinic that told me that the facility next door to us here in Memphis, Tennessee, is one of the nicest, if not the nicest, he's seen in the country. And the surgeon was in New York and then Atlanta and now in Memphis. Can you speak to maybe having a vision that's in the best interest of a community of patients that's bold and that might be unlike anything else that exists here in this community prior? But what does it take and what's the process to see something like that and to go for it? You know, we strategically plan for 
five years at a time, but we also have a longer horizon. So we are always thinking down the road even further, you know, decades even. And in the early 90s, I was a resident and the staff here saw it upon themselves that, you know, we're on Madison Avenue here. This building's pretty old and our patient population was shifting. You know, we, we were pretty much in every hospital system anyway in the city. However, we saw a need to, to go where the patients were going and, you know, bring our expertise to the patients. And so they bought property out here in Germantown. It was Cottonfield, I'm told. The next day, the property value tripled because uh, suddenly a Campbell Clinic bought this property. Well, now it's a medical cor- the medical corridor of Memphis. And they bought extra property. They didn't have to. They bought extra property more than they needed, thinking down the road, even past what was in front of them. And you got to give them credit because we had that property to build this building. The building was originally a two-story building. And, you know, you know, Germantown's got all these rules about things. And we asked, could we do three stories? They said, well, we'll let you do four. We're like, we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're, you know, we, we said, well, let's go out. Let's build a be- the best building we can build. And uh, we said, what are we going to do? We need an uh, orthopedics is moving to outpatient surgery. We already had a surgery center in, in Midtown. We, we have one out here already. But we wanted to build a state-of-the-art surgery center. And we recognize that it's headed – Orthopedic surgery is headed toward 85% outpatient. It's in that direction. And so we had physicians here actually at the time that were developing, doing outpatient total joint replacement, going home the same day, replacing your hip and going home the same day. Now, people hear about it now, but it, it, was, it was unheard of back then. And this was about 12, not that long ago, about 12 years ago. And I have to credit my partners who specialize in uh, joint replacement and some of the doctors that did specialize in joint replacement actually were the ones that really drove it. Uh, but we're doing outpatient. We're doing joints and want to do them outpatient. And so they set up a system basically to get patients in and out the door on the same day. So now that's very common. Literally a decade later, a little more than a decade later, people hear about it now. They're doing it. But it was started really the tip of the spear was right here. And uh, I'm not saying we're the only ones that started. The first to start, we were among the first who started it here. And it's not done outside the United States. So it's really the first on the on the planet. And so to do that, we said we got to build a state of the art surgery center. Our surgery center is on the top floor of that building. It's a, a surgery center name only. It's basically an outpatient. It's an orthopedic hospital. We built it like a hospital. So it's a surgery center on steroids. So we were able to do that. We were able to shell out a, another floor and then pop fill up another a, a third floor for patient care. And then the first floor is not just physical therapy. It's a one-of-a-kind sports performance center, Excel, this Terry Canale family Excel facility that is better than any uh, professional athlete's training room. I mean, you go in there, it's, we actually it's run by a former NBA trainer of 17 years. I mean, he was actually trainer of the year <laughs> at one point. It's basically it attracts people that are prof- uh, training for being the draft combat for the NBA. We had 10 of them last year that were in the draft. In fact, the number one pick the draft was trained there or the weekend warrior, or the uh, AAU team, or the club uh, volleyball team, or the high school or middle school basketball team, or the a SWAT team in Germantown, or the USL soccer team, or anybody that just wants to go join there and have all the amenities of a state-of-the-art uh, training room. It's got it also has an outdoor turf field. And so it's got everything you need, all the pre-workout stuff, the recovery stuff that you see in a training room afterwards. You don't just work out. You get recover. It's got, you want a dietitian, you want a sports psych person, you want anything that, you, that you've that you read about is there. And so we, we have that facility there uh, for our patients to see what it's like to have a state-of-the-art, you know, training facility. So that's was part of the vision too. But it recycles itself. So now we've got people here thinking about 10 and 20 years down the road. You have to do that. I gave this talk uh, when I served as our, our academy president on building a bigger box. People like to say, we just need to think outside the box. Well, you know, it requires a lot of energy to think outside the box. But if your box is bigger, you build a bigger box and you're in that box, there's less energy expended to try and be strategic. And so you have to think, you have to think strategically. You have to make yourself do that on a regular basis. If you're not doing that, you're 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 busy with the, uh, the operations of the day, you can really get caught up in that. So we try in our practice, we have a board of directors, we have a chief of staff, board of directors, we have great C-suite people that help us do what we want to do. It's a phys- physician-led group, but we've got the best C-suite people you can have in every category 
help us do what we do. And we think strategically uh, about what we want to do that year for the five-year cycle and then even beyond that. To the patient, to the citizen, let's say they moved here and they need surgery. In a nutshell, what would you say to somebody that's in this city or maybe like others that come to this city to get treatment here? Why Campbell Clinic? Well, we, we wrote the book that, that basically trains orthopedic surgeons everywhere else. And I, and I say that in a humble way that the book that comes out of here is most orthopedic surgeons have a copy of Campbell's Opera at some point in their career, whether it's in the United States or in the other countries around the globe that we produce and sell it to in the eight languages. Look, a lot of this stuff is perception. There are a lot of great orthopedic surgeons. Look, it's, it's a practice, by the way, it's hard to get into. It, it, we get the best medical students. And, uh, and so you're getting people that you think about people who have gone through college and gone through medical school, and now they're competing to get into a residency program that's 2.7% of doctors. You're getting some people that are you know, pretty bright, that are pretty accomplished. And we get people that, uh, that are pretty resilient because orthopedic surgery is a high-demand practice. It's uh, a lot of emergency room stuff a lot of trauma, a lot of things that you're, you're trained to do that t- taking care of emergencies and things like that. You got to really want to be, be that person that didn't mind being out in the middle of the night on call doing things too. But we, we say to people, you don't have to leave Memphis because people come to Memphis to look for our ex- expertise and you got everything here. And I say that again, in a humble way, we're blessed to have people with really the skill set, the knowledge to do it and the the technology, again, we try and stay up to date on everything, all the techniques, but we're also thinking all about the future of orthopedic surgery too, all that, but it's all here, and it, whether it's a tumor or whether it's a, uh, a, a trauma, bad trauma, you know, trauma issue or sports medicine or foot or hand or pediatrics, all those sort of things. We've got people in every spine, we've got people in every subspecialty that can handle the problem. Earlier, you were talking about Dr. Campbell and that he wrote the operative textbook, if I heard you correctly, after World War I, essentially as a manual to give people the insight and understanding on how, how to take care of patients, how to take care of people. And also heard you say that the way trends are headed, 85% of procedures are outpatient for orthopedics now moving forward. And you talked about Camel Clinic being very early being very calculated, but very early in seeing the trends. You talked about buying real estate out here where people were moving. What can you say about the research, the textbook, the 15 editions, the surgeons that travel the world doing trips, doing fellowships? How has research and understanding stayed a crucial part of Campbell Clinic, and how will that continue to guide advancement and innovation into the future? Well, you have to play to your strengths in research. So in other words, you can't say, I want to do this type of research when you just don't have the the means or the facilities to do that. For us, it's uh, outcomes, mostly outcomes-based patient care. We have a lot of patients that come through our clinics, and we see things that are out there. Uh, we see trends. We do a fair amount of basic science research, which is a, a longer journey to the patient. But our focus is more on translational research, outcomes-based research, which we can actually do a study, publish it, and say, you know, we can start doing that right now. We don't have to. We can start t- treating our patients with that right now. And so... That kind of information that we, we get we develop firsthand, we, we say we have a patient population here, we can actually publish something that will contribute to our patients and to patients around the, the globe, you know, why not participate in that? And so that's a, important to us to be able to do that. And, you know, I'll give you an example right now. Pickleball is a pretty hot topic. Well, about a year ago, we started looking at the literature in pickleball. Now we're doing survey research on pickleballers in the area trying to get information because we see people that don't you know, underestimate the sport. We, it's typically an older population. Now it's moving to a younger population, but the older population goes out there thinking, this looks pretty easy. Guess what? It's not. And they subject themselves to injuries. So we're trying to educate patients on pickleball injuries. Yeah, this is how you prepare. This is what you have to look out for. Uh, this is what you do if you have a problem, you know, if you have an injury. So things like that you see that are right in front of you, you know, we go and try and provide information, do research on it, provide information to patients, not just here, but hopefully nationally and internationally. What can you say about your work in the National Basketball Association and the trends, the travels, the work with the players, the research? Does that help your work here in any way? You know, I I think that it does because you know what's out there. You can stay cutting edge because these people, these are individuals that have access to everything. 
I just gave you an example. Orthobiologics or regenerative medicine is a, a huge topic right now. It is the future of orthopedic surgery, I think. Uh, definitely future of healthcare because uh, it's not here yet, though. It's not where we don't have the data to show that it is, we can't grow cartilage in somebody's knee and prevent them from getting their knee replaced. But guess what? Down the road, maybe the end of this, of this century, you're not going to get your knee or your hip replaced, or your shoulder replaced, or whatever it is. You'll take a pill, or get a shot, and something's going to the cartilage is going to grow back in your knee. That sounds crazy, but they're going to look, look back and say, "Gosh, can you believe somebody cut somebody's knee open?" and cut the ends of the bones of the femur and tibia out and put metal plastic and cement in there and made a new knee. Can you believe we did that to somebody as opposed to taking a pill or getting a shot? That's the future. And if, if you're projecting like that and thinking about that, you should be involved in it. So we are, we have our own orthobiologics committee and, you know, you, you can, there's a lot of advertising with this right now. And you look at it and you think, oh, this regenerative medicine stuff, uh, you know, I'm going to go down the street and get something done well, there are people coming into town that aren't even from here that, you know, there are these, these outlets, these places now where you can go and get this stuff, but you don't know what you're getting. So our guiding principles were, okay, let's do something that's got some science behind it. Let's keep track in the registry of how patients are doing. Let's not gouge anybody. Let's charge them what we got to charge to get what, what's got to be done. And let's offer it up to the patients. But we're recognizing that it's going to happen where this stuff, some of this stuff's going to catch on and be really important for patients in the future. It's not quite there now. But let's get it. Let's let's be in this space. So that's really important to us too. But at the same time, we're not out there just advertising on the radio and billboards and all this. Come get your shot, get your pill, whatever. Let's be fair to the patient about it. Be very transparent about it, and let's approach it from a scientific standpoint. What works, what doesn't work, and let's have medical ethics in the middle of all this because you can certainly go out and steer people the wrong way. Because you know it's interesting as you become a physician. Patients trust us in two ways. They trust us to have the knowledge. They also trust us to use that knowledge in an ethical way. And so when you encounter a patient for the first time, they walk in, they've, they've never met you. They walk in the office. They just never probably heard of you. But they trust that you were trained well and you have the knowledge. But they also trust you're going to use that knowledge in an, in an ethical way to treat them. That's a huge amount of trust. They tell you things they don't tell their, the closest person to them. And when you think about that, you know, it's, you have to think that, gosh, I mean, this is, this patient's taking a big leap to trust me. I really owe it to them to do the very best I can for them. When you think about the communities that have a Campbell Clinic location, surgeon, physician, and staff, and then the other locations that you would like to see open and that are part of the growth plan, what do you want to see? I want them to see that we're trying to bring our expertise to them. The reason we have these satellites and these other offices and we're moving around is to bring what we have here we think is something unique and special to them. They don't have to make their way here. We're going to bring it to them, their communities, where they live, where they work, where they go to school or where they recreate. We want to bring what we have to them. Can you say anything more about the discipline, the professionalism, and the mindset that you want to have or Campbell Clinic needs to have to not put the growth and the economic gain over what's best for the patient and the principles that drive long-term success? Well, we have, a, have to have a process, and you have to respect that process. And, I, and uh, I think we've got a pretty good process. Again, we're always trying to tweak it and make it better, but uh, the way we approach anything strategic, is it's process-driven. And if you have that process in, in place and you abide by it, it's not all, always easy to do, and you have discipline, you try and have vision, uh, I think those are important things that keep you on track for what you're trying to, to get accomplished. Is there anything that sticks out to you that is not currently available or maybe a newer development like what you referenced earlier with regenerative medicine or maybe it's endoscopic procedures? Is there anything that you see that is a significant value to patients that is on the horizon that would be fun to talk about? Well, orthopedics is very technology-driven. You know, you can learn something on a weekend and want to apply it. You just have to make sure it's safe and effective. But it's very technology-driven. I, I would say that, you know, telehealth is something that's not doesn't play as well with orthopedics, but it's there. It's really helped us keep track of patients. Uh, certainly the pandemic spurned uh, that forward in orthopedics. There are a lot of things going on right now. There's 3D printing. There's virtual reality. There's AI. Uh, all these things are important. There's robotic surgery, which is already here. And again, I mentioned the orthobiology, the regenerative medicine. There, there are a lot of fun things in orthopedics because we're so technology-driven. 
And for us, it's important that we have standards and guiding principles to help us adopt those new technologies. So I'll give you an example. We have a quality assurance committee here. And when we, we vet anything new goes through that committee, which eventually makes it to our board directors, which eventually makes it to our, share, our shareholders or our partners. We have a process to vet new, new things, new technology. And uh, I'll just tell you that people can smell something on that committee sometimes. They're like, ah, that didn't look right. It's almost a visceral feeling you get before you even talk about it. You know, God, it didn't look right. But we, we're open to anything. If somebody wants to bring something to us, we're going to listen to it, and we'll decide whether or not it's something that could uh, treat the patient in a better way or not. And we have a process we think that works. And, again, you have your guiding principles and core values that helps you vet things. Is there anything we haven't talked about up to this point that you would love to cover as we wrap up? Well, I mentioned earlier faith, family, patient care. I will tell you this, that uh, if you're going to take care of people and you see medicine as a vocation, you pray. And not just I'm talking about praying before our meetings, but I tell my partners, hey, you know, you pray for our, your families, your uh, patients, our employees, our trainees. And uh, in, in this world today, you really can't be a doctor. I don't know how you can be a, any kind of a physician and, and not because we see miracles happening today. Things happen that shouldn't happen. And uh, I think that if you are somebody that's a spiritual person that, that prays, you can be a better physician for your patient. What gives you the confidence to make that clear when it's uncommon to hear a leader talk about their values, the values of the organization, and truth? Well, I, I just was blessed to be brought up in a family that was that way. You know, I've been very blessed to have a two parents, which most people don't, half the country doesn't have today, and, and a family of five, uh, five children. And we just came, you know, you got that from my parents, you got it from their parents, and still that. And I wanted to become a physician to help people. And that sounds corny, but that's what I wanted to do. I grew up in a small business family. I learned a lot about how hard it is to do that job. And that's what made me appreciate people that come in that are doing things that are not healthcare related. And I learned a lot that way. And you know, if you start your day with prayer and you include your patients and your employees and your trainees and everybody and everybody around you, 360, I think that uh, you take care of that part of it, the spiritual part, then you can go about your day and it belongs to somebody else. They just give me what you got at, the end, at, at that point. So, Last question I have on the hard days, is there a story, I'm sure there's several, but of a patient that you think about who was in a really bad spot when they came and saw you and then you got to see how they got to get back to where they were on the other side of it. I'll just tell you this story. There was a patient a number of years ago that I took care of, and I ended up taking care of the patient longer than I thought I was going to have to take care of, but I took care of her for a while, and I became close with her parents. Every Monday, I get a text from her father, and every Monday he gets a text from me. It's a Bible verse with, hey, we're praying for your family, and hope you have a blessed week. And I didn't have to take care of this patient. And I look back at that, and it may go on for till we die. I don't know. This guy's an amazing guy. He's, the family's an amazing family. And they're not, they're a simple family from, from Arkansas, okay? And, and just somebody that was brought into my life, and it's, it tr- added tremendous value to my life. On a, not just this month, this Monday morning message we have amongst ourselves. It's uh, on a daily basis. There's not a day, because we pray for each other every day, our families every day. And that message goes you know, we send in our text every every Monday, and I've never really told anybody about that. My wife knows about it, but it, it's something that wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't have taken care of this somebody in this family. Now I've taken care of everybody in the family, all their friends, and so it's been pretty special that relationship. It's like they refer people to me all the time. I just tell people, well, they're on my payroll. They're sending me people, send people to see me. I joke, I, they must be. They're doing a good job. I need to make sure I get the check to them in the mail for sending me people. But they just do it because we love each other, you know, and. uh that that's something that's that'll be with me the rest of my career, and then after my career, we're still going to be able to share those messages. So that didn't have to happen, but it did because I took care of a patient and established a relationship uh, with the family. It's been pretty special for the last almost twenty years, probably now, and then it'll it'll continue to go forward, hopefully. And you created impact and healing when they were struggling with something that they really needed, and they were at a very low spot, and that's what built it. Well, you know what? We get out of uh, get out of what we put into it. When you put something into a relationship with a patient, sometimes you get stuff back. You're like, "Wow, that you know, it's uh, I didn't expect that." Because all day long you're seeing patients. You're in the office. You're operating. Whatever you're doing, you know, you're trying to give to the patient. 
patients will give back to you and it will energize you. And uh, you'll get a hug from somebody or they'll say something to you or uh, we'll get something, uh, you know, a review or something. You can do that now. You didn't used to have that before. Used to, they would bring you something to your office. You know, we'll, we'll bring you some vegetables or a pie or a cake or give you a hug or say something nice. Now they can do it, do it through your reviews. So it's a lot more sophisticated now, but at the same, it's, a, it's a blessing either way you look at it. But it's something a lot of times it's unexpected and you get that back and you feel really blessed to have that, uh, have somebody uh, affirm what you're doing, that you, that you did something to help them and, and they're do, actually doing something to help you, sometimes even more. We get more out of it than we're giving to the patient sometimes. So. Dr. Azar, you've talked a lot about the past, the present, but also the future. And you've talked about a lot of things that Campbell Clinic is doing to keep building and keep spreading your impact to communities across the Southeast. Could you maybe share a little bit about internally and from a process standpoint, what Campbell Clinic is doing to keep understanding the patient and keep understanding how to advance the organization internally? Well, there's an expectation of professionalism from our patients. You know, we're physicians. We're supposed to be professional. And we believe in uh, doing things to help promote professionalism in our profession of orthopedic surgery. So one of the things we do, we've done over a number of years, is we send out scientific articles on professionalism in medicine and orthopedics. Uh, We send them out every month. Uh, They're archived on our intranet site. We've done it for over a dozen years. And we expect our providers to read these articles and hopefully get some knowledge about how they can do to make themselves better as professionals. We also developed a code of ethics and professionalism that we developed for the clinic, for our, for our practitioners here, we, that we all sign off on. So we take it very seriously that it's something that we, we work to uphold to, again, to promote ethics and professionalism in our practice. In addition to that, we recently adopted something we call 360-degree evaluation. So the people that work around us every day in our clinics, and our operating room, can anonymously provide feedback through surveys as to how we're doing, how we're handling ourselves in our, in our roles as professionals in orthopedic surgery. So that's been very productive for us to have that information too. Do people get irritated with the systems internally, or do people understand that that's how you actually understand what's going on and how to get better? There's 110% buy-in as to what we're doing. We all develop these processes together, and we also work to promote them together, to, again, for improvement and professionalism and what we do each and every day. When you think about where we're at today and also the future, but also how you share that your values, your mission statement, Campbell Clinic recently made a very focused and deliberate effort to work through and bring to life and also make that the forefront each and every day. That was only done a few years ago. And then you're talking about these things with how you just laid it out to keep getting better and understand the patients and where to continue to improve. How would you answer why this is important to continue to grow and flourish decades into the future, even if you've been able to be very successful over the last several decades without formalizing some of these things? For ourselves, it's, again, for self-improvement. But most importantly, we are a training facility. We train the future orthopedic surgeons uh, of the world. We also train physician's assistants. We train uh, medical students. We train fellows. So we, we, we train a lot of different individuals in a lot of different areas of medicine. So we think it's important to impart upon them how important it is to be a professional. There is an expectation of our patients for us to be professionals. And so whether you're a physician or somebody working alongside a physician, a physician assistant, a resident, a fellow, somebody in our practice, anybody who uh, is looked to provide the best possible care for our patients, we want to impart upon them this knowledge that we have as professionals. So there's a lot of teaching that we do that's passive. It's how we act, not what we say, and not. What, but it's more what we do. So we can say all we want. We can teach people. It's almost like with your children. Uh, you know, they're gonna they're gonna react to how, what you do, not what you say. So we it's through our actions that we also hope to train the future providers of orthopedic surgery going forward. So that's why we do these things, not just for ourselves, but for the people around us. And would you say that for Campbell Clinic and other clinics and organizations around the country that are prioritizing the patient first, prioritizing your craft, your work, that is going to be what's best for people, not just here, but around the country and around the world. Because as other people, as the markets continue to evolve and the incentives of growth may happen, what's going to be best for the patient is people that are that treat this not like a job, but a vocation and that are 
absolutely and solely focused on how to take care of the patient and keep advancing orthopedics decades into the future. There's a lot of noise around us right now. At the end of the day, it all, it all stops when you're in, the door is closed and you're, you're in the room with the patient or in the operating room with the patient. It's that one-on-one that can sometimes feel like it's just not there. And so with, with all, everything that's going on around us, a lot of, all the pressures from the outside about this and that, it could be technical stuff, it could be legal stuff, it could be stuff that the government has us doing or insurance companies have us have of doing. We have to, those are things, we, boxes we have to check, things we have to do to, to see a patient. At the end of the day, it's you and that patient one-on-one in that room, and that's what's really most important to us. It comes down to that. If we lose that, you know, if it becomes more mechanical, more of a checklist thing that we really can't have any control over, if we lose that, you know, the patient experience is really going to be significantly compromised, and we won't be able to treat people like people want to be treated. You know, the most important thing you can say to a patient in their office is their name. They want to know that you know their name. They want to be able to talk to you, look, look at you face-to-face, eye-to-eye. They want you to examine them, to touch them, make sure everything works okay. You, you lose all that when you're so busy focused on uh, the electronic medical record or something like that where you have to do all these things in order to, to bill properly for that office visit or get the insurance companies to pay for it or whatever. You get lo- it gets lost in every- can get lost in everything that you're doing. At the end of the day, it's that one-on-one relationship with the patient that we want to pre- help preserve. What this means is that it takes good, effective, and strong leadership to keep everyone focused on what's best for each patient to make sure everybody gets access to good and equitable health care, and that's what you're saying here. Yeah, that's what it's all about. It's, it, it's, we want, again, we think that health care is a human right, and equitable access to health care is, is, is a human right, and that's what we work to promote here. With everything going on around us, though, it's just important to be able to have it all come down to the patient. You know, there's when we train our residents and fellows, they, you know, they come to learn knowledge and skills, especially the skill part because we, we're mainly operative physicians. The, the third leg of all this is the professionalism part. You know, you got to have all three, knowledge, skills, behavior, knowledge, skills, professionalism. And if you have all three of those things, we think you're going to be a better physician for your patients. Well. I know he's not here for us to ask him, but I think it's obvious that Dr. Campbell would be very proud. Well, we hope so. And anybody else that's come before us, too, and also um, certainly him, he probably never dreamed it was going to be anything like this when he started his practice. But the people that have come after him have carried it forward, and we're, we're doing this, trying to do the same thing. Yes, sir. Our physicians believe that it is a privilege to serve as a physician, and it is a privilege to serve as a physician at Campbell Clinic. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for your time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Now and Future of Orthopedics, a Campbell Clinic podcast. Be on the lookout for a new episode coming soon each month. And for more information about Campbell Clinic, go to campbellclinic.com and also search the Now and Future of Orthopedics wherever you get your podcasts. If you love this episode, please do us a favor, tell a friend and leave a review. As your host, Sam Coates, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you soon.